How we doing, folks? Hope everyone is well, staying safe, staying healthy, uh, staying away from uh, COVID and getting yourself sick. Um, Scary time out there. I know many of us are still dealing with the effects and the existence of COVID-19. And I'm sure plenty of us have had to endure awful, awful things because of our uh, global ruling class's inability and uh, indecisiveness in trying to handle and aid the masses during this pandemic. We have seen um, and cannot ignore the fact that the ruling class seems to have absolutely no interest in helping the working people of the world. Uh, as only less than I want to say 10% of the world has even had one vaccine. Um, And folks like Joe Biden are getting a booster. Uh, It shows us first and foremost that this virus is real. Because if they didn't give a shit about us, right? And they didn't think the virus was actually real. We know they wouldn't give us the vaccine but they wouldn't be taking the vaccine themselves. And I know there's a bunch of people uh, who you probably see on Facebook who are like, oh, that's because they're not actually taking the vaccines. They're fake vaccines. You're ridiculous. Shut the fuck up. Um, Not for nothing. It's a global pandemic that's killed millions of people. I guarantee you that those are not fake vaccines. I guarantee you that that is the ruling class scrambling for everything that it can to make sure that they don't fucking die. Um, But then, of course, you have jackasses like Bolsonaro who gets COVID time and time again. And because the world is such a fucked up hellhole, he doesn't die. Isn't that just fucking annoying as shit? But anyways, there's my random tangent about the pandemic um, and the misinformation that's going around. Um, we know that in a world so cultivated on individualism and ruling class exploitation, that there's very little reason why any, uh, individual who does not feel themselves, uh, connected to the collective human species, uh, there's no reason why they would then turn around and and care about something like this. So we have to be the ones who do. We have to be the ones who are hosting teach-ins about the virus. We are the ones who have to be going around canvassing and asking people if they'd like to get vaccines, if they need transportation, if they need more information. We need to be the ones going around and trying to set up pop-ups and clinics where the vaccines can be administered. We have to be pressuring our elected officials to put more in effort and also into action towards actually eliminating the continued spread and mutation of this virus. These are the things that we need to do because we must recognize that, again, the ruling class does not care. Just like everything else, they're going to make sure they're good and then hope that they can get us to still come to work. The working class, however, is also wrought with liberal ideas of 
individualism uh, and of sort of quote-unquote rights as they're claiming them to not have to do this because it's quote control Um, but yeah uh, that's my little piece on the pandemic it's ridiculous and we need to be stepping up our efforts tenfold hundredfold us as individuals and those of us who must be continuously calling on elected officials to either do what needs to be done or remove them from office um but yeah so with that intro welcome to if this is your first time in defense of liberation the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day a true global proletarian revolution but until that day comes i am your host josh and welcome to the show where i try to get high and explain marxist analysis um try to give some news coverage and try to give some explanation to a lot of ideas and issues that you and i and people all over the world are having to try to work through um So today I wanted to do a little discussion about the huge movement uh, for workers' rights, for unionization, for strikes, and kind of what's been going on with the U.S. working class as of late. Now, before I get into this, I would like to take a moment to discuss, first and foremost, the incredible and long-standing resistance, both of the unions, as well as just simply the mass organizations throughout the Global South. One of the most incredibly organized and strong uh, union organizations is in Cochabamba. Um, Evo Morales was once the president, I believe is the position name, uh, and he is continuously working with them now, uh, demanding huge uh, change in the way of climate action and what the ruling classes of the world are doing to stop it. Um, The working class in South Africa has announced an indefinite strike uh, headed by the Association of Architects and Engineers. I believe that is the name of the organization. Uh, In Haiti, they are continuously doing 24-hour strikes, demanding an end to uh, their ruling class's oppression of the people as well as the economic inequality, as well as UN infiltration and control of their social, political, and economic spheres. The Global South has shown for hundreds of years that whether it be trade unionist struggles, whether it be independence or national liberation struggles, or even if it is socialist 
revolutions or socialist struggles we see time and time again that the global south is more militant more organized and more conscious than the west in almost every regard but there's a few things that I want to say on that first and foremost that's because as Lenin described capitalism would give way at its weakest links Uh, This has happened time and time again throughout history, so I need not go into an explanation as to why Marx's theories of the urban proletariat being the only revolutionary people within the world and that uh, capitalism would break and socialism would come in the most developed sectors of the world... um, history has proven this to be incorrect, uh, and we know why. So, because of this, the Global South, time and time again, has shown us in the West what we must do. But we here in the West, oftentimes, don't do that. Um, Now, I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that could be discussed as to why. But I'm going to try to take the more Marxist approach to this discussion. So for those of you who don't know, the, uh, I think it's the IAWSE, which is the Hollywood Actors Union, uh, just voted to strike, uh, the UAW, United Auto Workers Union, or, yeah, I think it's the Union of Auto Workers, I believe so. Excuse me if I'm getting these organizations incorrect. There's so many acronyms and different names of organizations. Sometimes it's difficult to keep track of them, especially when you don't take notes. (laughs) Um, The UAW just voted 90% to go on strike. Um, that's incredible. Uh, the, um, you, uh, yeah, Union Met Coal, uh, coal workers have been on strike now for, I want to say eight months, seven months. Uh, retail workers, fast food workers all over the country are fighting for a higher wage, affordable housing, health care, reduction in, you know, taxes or a use of taxes properly for pensions and social security and social services. The rise of the workers' movement in the United States has really begun to hit stride. Um, It is, once again, like the early 20th century, beginning to take hold of a lot of different sectors within the working class. Of course, usually of the quote-unquote weakest links, a.k.a. the most difficult, 
inhumane and oppressive working conditions are leading to to the strikes, the workers' movements, etc. This is incredible. And this is really, really, really important. No one, and I mean no one, should be speaking against or saying that, you know, really, this is not meaningful. Um, Nobody should be sitting here saying that the efforts by the conscious workers of the United States to try to organize themselves, to try to struggle for better wages and better working conditions, no one can nor should be speaking out against these actions and claiming that they should not be happening. That is not what we are here to do. That is not what anyone should be doing. Our goal today is to discuss and critique the ideas of trade unionism and economism from a historical and Marxist lens. If I misspeak or you feel my critique is incorrect, please feel free to reach out. I'd love to have whomever on the show to discuss this and plenty of other topics. I am not shy in expressing the fact that I am a learner. I am often incorrect. I often have to learn from my mistakes, but this is the goal of educating yourself, to learn, to try to implement that knowledge, to find out where it is correct and where it is not correct through experimentation and discussions, as well as debates and critiques. Um, I will say I'm not a debate bro, so don't come on here thinking you're going to get an argument out of me. That's not what I'm here to do. Um, I don't think it offers anyone a whole lot uh, in way of learning, just simply because of the format. Although I do believe in constant ideological struggle, um, I don't think the format of debate content creation um, cultivates an actual learning environment. So, trade unionism is a sort of ideological tendency in the workers' movement. It was a tendency in the early days of the German revolutions, the British, French, and Belgian revolutions, or I should say workers' rebellions, not revolutions. It was even a major tendency for a period of time in the workers' and social democratic struggles in Russia throughout the late 1800s and early 1900s. Now, for clarification's sake, the Marxists including Lenin, up until 1905, oftentimes used the definition or the word social democracy in place of Marxism, similar to how you see many folks call themselves socialists, 
communists, leftists, etc., instead of Marxists. But also, it's especially because in Russia, the, uh, the, uh, um, what, the censorship was so bad that they actually had police forces of sorts, the gendarmes, who were specifically oriented towards censoring what material and information was produced and uh, given out to the workers and the people of Russia. So, with that side note, the Narodniks and the social revolutionaries, um, as well as uh, the cadets, which were the constitutional democrats, um, who wanted a constituent government as well as a constitutional republic within Russia. All three of these different groups who Lenin fought against and struggled against ideologically for years, all three of them, whether in uh, whether consciously or subconsciously, developed a trade unionist or economist ideology. A trade unionist or economist ideology is one that centers the workers' struggle in the economic sphere and says that, in fact, gains cannot be given to the working class outside of the economic sphere. A trade unionist or economist feels that our main place where we should be fighting for improvements is within the sphere of things like wages, health care benefits, and pensions, and even working conditions and relations, as someone like Richard Wolff, who continuously speaks about the need for co-ops, who continuously speaks for the need for uh, economic gains for the working class, who yet is incapable of going far enough to recognize and call out the utter compromise and just half-assed nature of a trade unionist or economist struggle. Now, Lenin and many others before me have talked about the reasons why a trade unionist consciousness or struggle stops short of what the working and oppressed peoples actually need. A trade unionist or economist struggle or consciousness is one of, if not the most intense and heightened consciousness that the working and oppressed people can come to on their own. So there is nothing to be said akin to the fact that economism or trade unionism are useless. They are, like anything else, a stepping stone for the working class on their way towards socialist and communist consciousness. The working and oppressed people of the world 
are able to quite explicitly understand the relations that they endure at work because they are at work every day. They are able to recognize the fact that the managers and the uppers within their uh, labor force or within their workplace get higher wages, they get better working conditions, they might get health care benefits that the average part-time employee is not offered, they might have a better uh, or more meaningful say on their schedule, Uh, and all of this combined, of course, leads to a better existence in some way for the managers, um, supervisors, uh, shift leads, and, uh, you know, even some of your more, uh, corporate, um, I don't know if it's, I think it's quote unquote white collar work. I don't actually know the difference between blue collar and white collar. So we're going to just pretend that I didn't say that you're more, uh, um, well-paid jobs. I mean, we could even just put it that simply, like an office job, a corporate job, etc. Even folks like that are recognizing that their bosses get paid better than they do. So naturally, they look at the difference between the work that they do and the pay that they get versus the pay that the uh, bosses get and the work that the bosses do. And they, without too much assistance, really, are able to go, I work fucking a million times harder than that asshole does, and I can't even afford a babysitter so that I can go have a nice meal with my partner once a week. And you know what they say? You know what? They go, I want to get paid more. I deserve to get paid more. I work my ass off and I don't even have health care. What the fuck? So there's a lot of ways that that energy goes out. Some people just fucking quit. Can you blame them? Not really. Some people, they join a union and they say, listen, I know I got to pay dues, but the dues versus the fact that on average union workers make between 19 and 25% more than non-union workers, as well as having the support both emotionally and physically. Because I don't know if you guys forgot this, but like the workers who are doing the most awful jobs oftentimes are under physical threat or danger. And a union offers them the ability to not be so afraid, to not be so alone, to not have to face off against those threats by themselves. Some people might go out onto the street and demand, as many people are, higher wages, better working conditions, uh, better social services for the working class in general. But what does all of this add up to? 
Well, a materialist analysis would give us the conception that, in fact, this does not change the material relation between the owning class and the working class. And therefore, it maintains a power dynamic of oppression. Now, to some, this might seem like a stretch, like, okay, we get it, you're a Marxist, whatever. But let's really think about this. I mean, your managers and your bosses are getting paid better because they get to decide that. Now, maybe not your managers and your supervisors, but your corporate and your, uh, uh, your headed directors or your CEO, they all get to decide what you get paid. You don't get to decide what they get paid. When they decide that they're going to give you two bucks more an hour, do you get to decide how long that you keep that $2 an hour? Do you get to decide whether or not that is dependent on you working 10 times harder, working extra shifts, working on weekends, working nights, working days that you already told them that you couldn't work, missing out on family events, etc., etc.? Do you get to decide that? No. And when $2 is enough, or when $2 is not enough, do you get to decide that you need more? No. Do you get to decide what kind of job you even work? Not oftentimes. Not oftentimes. Most of us get employed by the few jobs that will take us. You know, you can go to college, yeah, get a little bit better you know, job, get a degree, etc., etc. But, I mean, honestly, how many people have a degree that they aren't using? How many people do you know who are in hundreds of thousands of student loan debt who don't even work a job that gives them enough money to pay that off monthly, anything more than the interest? What kind of fucking system is that? You think that that's worth fighting for? I thought that that was worth fighting for, getting a degree, getting a higher wage, asking for better better social services. But this system is built on the existence of a exploiter and an exploited. It exists and is predicated on a foundation of upper class and lower class. That will not change just because the lower class gets a little bit higher wages or has health care guaranteed as a human right. Because as soon as the next politician comes in and says, actually, we're at war, so we need to take all the money out of Social Security and out of what goes towards Medicare for all and actually dedicate it towards the military budget. Because, oh, the American government or the ruling classes of any nation, they've, they've never done that. No, they, they would never. So I hope my immense sarcasm is laying out quite concretely to those of you who are still listening that trade unionism and economism stops short of having the power in the working and oppressed people's hands themselves. So Lenin and many others discuss the fact that this natural final consciousness that the working class arrives at is a compromise with the oppressors because it's saying, listen, okay, I get it. You're in charge of me. You get to decide everything. You own my life for these 40 hours a week. 
you own everything that I own because you are the only reason that I have a car to drive in. You are the only reason that I have shelter and a bed to lay my head in. You are the only reason why I have eight today because you are the owner and I am the worker. We get that, but what if you gave me a better wage? I'll come back to work if. That's the compromise. I will come back to work if. This is why things like strikes and boycotts are so incredibly penalized and made illegal within countries of the West and in countries where the West is the backer for either the puppet regime, the military junta, or the entire economic sphere. They will pass laws. They will put politicians in power. They will militarize the police so as to when the workers decide to call out against even something like a lack of health care. You have teachers in places like Germany and Belgium getting beaten over the head with batons for holding a sign that says health care is a human right. The difference is a communist isn't going to let you beat the workers over the head without getting your head blown straight off of your fucking shoulders. That's the difference. And guess what? A lot of people don't like that, including the CIA agent who's probably been following me around since I started talking more uh, explicitly about these things. But we must recognize here that trade union and economism, even something like co-ops, not only still keep in power the distinction between the owning class or the bosses and the workers or the working class, but it also keeps capitalist production in place. If you unionize, your jobs get exported to either the immigrant or marginalized communities within the United States, or it gets forced on basically enslaved women and children all over the world. That is what continuously happens because when people unionize, you are saying, listen, if you want me to work, you have to pay out way more of your profits than you actually wanted to. And since the bosses still own the capital, since the bosses still own the means of production, and since the bosses are still the bosses, they will hire someone else. A natural and necessary foundation to capitalist production is the mass army of unemployed. Because if capitalism, like socialism has been able to do in many countries, if capitalism went for full employment, they would be incapable of keeping not only the minimum wage down, but the expectations for existence of the working class. Because if there is, as there is in the United States, on average, 30 to 50 million people who go without jobs, who go without any kind of continuous or uh, uh, consistent 
income, if there are some 200 million people who do not have health care in this country, if there is some 50 million people in this country who do not have consistent and safe housing, well, then you look like a real asshole when you stand up there and say, I want free health care or I want free housing because someone somewhere is going to say, oh, listen, you privileged fuck. I'm going to take your job because I need to eat today. It is not a choice of their own. It is not because they are against the working class. The workers of the world consistently are pinned against one another by the inequality between even those who labor and those who cannot become employed. When we fight for trade unionism and economism, we are fighting for more and better privileges for what has been coined the labor aristocracy. Now, there's a lot to be said about that, and I might even do an episode about that because I think it's important to the struggle in the West. But what trade unionism does is says, for me, you're going to have to pay this much, and you're going to have to do this much. And two things come with a focus and foundation on trade unionism. First of all, a continued separation between the working classes, because as long as, you know, an incredible amount of people go without jobs, go without employment every single day of the year in this country, you are pinning those who can get jobs against those who can't. Um, And whether you're doing that consciously or you want to sit here and say, no, that's not what we're doing and the people will understand, no, the fuck they won't. You know how many people who are so incredibly poor, so incredibly exploited, who still say shit like, look at these lazy unemployed people collecting a check? The people will be misinformed and miseducated. The second thing that trade unionism and economism does is it re-solidifies capitalist existence. It reaffirms bourgeois rule. Again, it keeps the power dynamic in place and says, listen, really, we don't care about that. We just want to get paid better. And even if that's a subconscious mistake, it's still a mistake. And we still need to critique and point out why instead the trade unions need to centralize and need to organize with the other groups in society who are calling for also social and political changes and organize themselves into a centralized group which can dispatch people to struggle in every way necessary in each and every sphere of struggle. Because folks like Richard Wolff, who try to tell us that we need to focus on the economic sphere, have not learned from the 170 years of working class struggles. From 1848 forward, we know the answer to this question. Trade unionism does not accomplish what the working people need. 
We need socialism. Why? Because at the end of the day, with a trade union, if they want to fire you, they fire you. What are you going to do? Fucking uh, Reagan fired the entire uh, um, air traffic control when they tried to go on strike at, I want to say it was either LaGuardia or JFK, one of those big airports. Reagan just fired all of them. They will imprison you. During the Haymarket Affair in Chicago, they killed 11 anarchists and 30-some-odd workers by hanging and trial for the anarchists and by just police brutality in the streets in the protests for the 30-some-odd men, women, and children who were killed and imprisoned. They will kill you. They will fire you. They will imprison you. They will exile you from the country. So instead, we need to unify. We need to build our strength. We need to build our power. And we need to, un- we need to centralize and focus on the struggle for state power. Because until we actually have control of not only the economic sphere, but also the social and political spheres, we still are at war. We still are out of control. We still are capable of being pinned against one another. And all of these things have been shown to be true by history's own development. Socialism, scientific socialism, and a political struggle for state power is the only method by which the working and oppressed people, not only of the United States, but especially for the global South, can actually see a humane existence. That is the only way that the oppressed people of the world are not just commodified and abused and exploited for their labor force. This is, speaking historically, the solution and the concrete struggle which we need to be partaking in. We need to be waging a social, a political, and an economic struggle which centers and focuses on the need for socialism, which is broad and unifying of the most and many masses that we can in order to fight for their collective control of the resources, land, labor force, and markets of our uh, uh, land mass, which can then go about changing and fixing the inequality between indigenous folks and settlers. It can go about fixing the racial and uh, sexual and gender-based violence and inequality and discrimination that exists in this country. But none of that will or can be done until socialism and the masses themselves rule. This is the only way. Um, And this is because trade unionism compromises and falls short of actually putting control into the workers' hands. It only asks for better conditions. If you're still listening, thank you very much. I appreciate you a lot. Sorry about that. Just had to blow out a bowl. If you are still listening, thank you so much. It means a lot. I hope to be able to discuss this uh, much further, and I'd love to learn more. So if you have any suggestions of what to read, what videos to look at, who to speak to, and if you have any want to come on the show and discuss these ideas with me, please reach out to me on my social media. You can find me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at In Defense of Liberation. You can also reach out to me by email at 
indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. No caps, no spaces. And again, folks, I am a student of history. I am a student of Marxism. I am learning. I am constantly growing. If I said anything you disagree with or you feel is incorrect, please reach out and let me know. I'd love to learn and I'd love to grow. Thank you very much for listening. This has been In Defense of Liberation. I am Josh, your host. And until next time, stay revolutionary, folks. We'll see you.